Thank you for coming to Palm Vista Community Church. And this morning, we continue our series in the book of Mark. We've entitled the series, Incredible. It's about our incredible Lord Jesus. And the Gospel of Mark was written to the church in Rome somewhere around 65 to 68 AD, a church that was experiencing incredible persecution under the Emperor Nero. And this morning's text from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31, is entitled, All In. All In. Jesus has been giving us a discipleship discourse, beginning in chapter 8 and ending here in chapter 10. He's been describing what it means to follow him, to be a true disciple. And the context of his instructions on what a true disciple is would be his mission to go to Jerusalem and to give his life as a ransom on the cross, to die for our sins, raising from the dead to give us life. He's been prophesying this death in Jerusalem since chapter 8. And every time he does it, every time he clarifies for his disciples what it means to be a true disciple, a true follower, they get freaked out. You see, they're fine with Jesus going to Jerusalem as Messiah to be crowned as king. But Jesus says, listen, you've got the Messiah part right, but I'm not going to Jerusalem to be crowned as king. I'm going to be crucified as the suffering servant. I'm going to give my life for you. And in the context of these three prophecies of his death, the first one in chapter 8, he says, to follow me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross. And in chapter 9, he says, to follow me, you must be last of all, and servant of all. And here in chapter 10, he teaches us what it means to follow him in the context of a man who comes up to him and asks him, teacher, how do I inherit eternal life? I I suspect perhaps that this man may not be so interested in following Jesus, but rather in getting something from Jesus. Because you see, the title of this message, All In, speaks to what it means to truly follow Jesus. Jesus will get to the core of this man's values, the core of what this man trusts. In fact, I'd like this question to be hanging over us as we read the text in just a moment. Here's the question. What or whom do you value and trust above all else? What or whom do you value and trust above all else? What are you willing to go all in for? Who or what is at the center of your life? With that question in mind, please, let's turn to Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. But before we read the text, let's pray. Let's pray that God the Holy Spirit would reach into the core of each of our hearts and help us to see what or whom we value and trust above all else. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would open your word, that you would give us understanding by your spirit. And Lord, give us the grace to then trust you. Lord, let us see you for who you are. Father, build your church. Lord, give us the grace 
not only to see what a true disciple, a true follower is, but to be one. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, with that question in mind, what or whom do you value and trust above all else? Let's read Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. And as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first Elizabeth Elliot passed away last June 15th 2015 she was a godly woman her husband, Jim Elliott, gave his life many, many years ago in 1956 as a 29-year-old young man to reach Indian tribe in Ecuador. And before he passed away in giving his life for the gospel, Jim Elliott wrote the following, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Point one, the demand of true discipleship. Last week, we learned that to receive the kingdom of God, one must be like a little child, an infant. Jesus took an infant in his arms in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16, and he said, to receive the kingdom of God, you must be like this little infant who couldn't even come on his own to me. Someone had to bring him, and he can do nothing to earn the kingdom. He must just receive it. What a contrast between that little child and this man who came up to Jesus here in verse 17 and asked, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? 
Now, in parallel accounts of this narrative, Luke calls this man a ruler. Mark calls him young. And later in our text, we find out he's very wealthy. Therefore, we can call him the rich young ruler. What a contrast. A little baby, a rich young ruler. And immediately, Jesus will adjust this rich young ruler's thoughts about himself and about the kingdom of God, inheriting eternal life. Because Jesus' answer to this man's question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, reveals to us the demand of discipleship, this first point. And he answers his question with a question. In verse 18, he says this, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So what Jesus is saying to this rich young ruler is saying, okay, you're calling me good, and only God is good. Are you calling me God? Do you know to whom you're addressing this question? Immediately drawing his eyes Godward. You see, the rich young ruler was making it about man, what I can do, very man centered. And Jesus' question seeks to shift the center of this man's focus from man to God. All religions in the world share one thing in common. They all tell us what we must do to be saved. It is only Christianity that tells us what God has done that we might be saved. This man was focused on what he had to do, not on what God had done. The rich ruler was man-focused, and God was shifting his focus Godward. Friends, the goal of our teaching from God's Word every Sunday is that we might become God-centered, because by nature, church, we are man-centered. In verse 19, Jesus now begins to answer the man's question. Realizing that the man thinks it's about what he can do, Jesus then gives him what he must do. Look at it, verse 19. Jesus here lists the last six of the Ten Commandments. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. He is telling the rich young ruler that these are the things he must do to inherit eternal life. Amazingly, in verse 20, the rich young ruler answers, Oh yeah, I've kept all of these from my youth. Since I was at Bar Mitzvah, I have kept all of these. Then in verse 21, Jesus is going to shift from the last six commandments, which are manward, how we treat our fellow man, to the first four commandments, Godward. And actually summarized in the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before you. Because in verse 21, Jesus is now going to go to the heart of who or what this rich young ruler values and trusts above all else. Actually, verse 21 is, is a touching verse. Look at it with me. It says that Jesus, looking at him, the rich young ruler, loved him. He loved him. Oh, listen. Jesus could relate to this rich young ruler. They were both 
in their 30s. And friends, Jesus was rich. Oh, he was richer than this man or you and I could ever imagine. Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus had lived all of eternity in the glory and wealth and love and fellowship of his Father. What he was about to ask this rich young ruler to do, he himself had done. As the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, speaking of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Oh, Jesus was all in. And Jesus now was about to address who or what this rich young ruler worshipped. Verse 21 He now gives him the full answer to the man's question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You lack one thing, Jesus says in verse 21b. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. This demand revealed what the rich young ruler valued and treasured above all else. It revealed the center of his life. In a sense, in essence, what Jesus was saying is, take away all your riches. Now, am I enough? Am I enough? Do you truly believe that with me, you have enough? Will you trust me? Will you value me above all else? else. This is the question that he puts before the rich young ruler. This is the question that reveals what or whom he valued and trusted above all else. Tim Keller drops us into the scene so vividly in the following quote. Jesus would say to the rich young ruler, I am going into a poverty deeper than anyone has ever known. I am giving it all away. Why? For you. Now, get ready I'm going to ask you to give away everything to follow me. If I give away my, quote, big all, unquote, to get you, can you give away your, quote, little all, unquote, to follow me? I won't ask you to do anything I haven't already done. I'm the ultimate rich young ruler who has given away the ultimate wealth to get you. Now, you need to give away yours to get me. The question of what or whom we value above all else is the question of what or whom we worship. Jesus has now moved to the first four commandments, to the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before you. Whom or what do you value and trust above all else? Whom do you worship? It's the question that's at the heart of this text. It's the question at the heart of true discipleship. It's the question at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. It's the question Jesus raised in chapter 8 when he told the disciples that they must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow him. It's the question at the heart of chapter 9 when Jesus told his disciples to follow me, you must be last of all and servant of all. It's the question that God asks each one of us this morning. How will we answer it? 
who or what is at the center of our life? Who or what do we value and trust above all else? You see, this rich young ruler was not so much interested in following Jesus as he was in getting something from Jesus. Eternal life. Verse 22 is every bit as tragic as verse 21 is touching. We read in verse 22, Disheartened by the saying, He, the rich young ruler, went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. In answer to Jesus' question, Am I enough? In answer to Jesus saying, Whom or what do you value or trust above all else? The rich young ruler said, You're not enough, Jesus. I don't value you above my possessions. And he turned with a sad face and walked away. See, this rich young ruler thought he was coming to an equal, a good teacher. And he thought he was going to get advice from this good teacher on how he could inherit eternal life, how he could complete a transaction. Jesus says, this isn't about you completing a transaction with an equal. You thought you were coming to a good teacher, but you've now encountered God. And he is asking and demanding the demand of true discipleship, which is worship, being all in, give it all up for him because he's enough. Is he enough for us? What or whom do you value and trust above God or tempted to value and trust above God? That is what God is asking you to consider this morning. That is what he's asking you to give up in order to follow Jesus fully, to follow Jesus and not just come to get something from him, but to truly follow him. What is it for you? What is it for you that you might be tempted to value above God and trust above God? Others' approval? Your own opinion? Your way? Your will? Your career? Financial security? Power? Control? Vindication? Even safety? See, Jesus is saying, am I enough? Am I enough? You know, after this rich young ruler walked away with a sad face, Jesus then, in verse 23, turns and looks right at his disciples. And he astounds them. Look at verse 23 with me. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, basically something impossible to do, than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were standing there with their mouths wide open, amazed, astonished. They were learning a difficult lesson. It was still hard for them to learn what it meant to be a true disciple of Jesus. It didn't mean entitlement. It didn't mean that they get from God great riches or to be first or to rule with him at his kingdom. It means that they follow Jesus in suffering, service, in denial of self. Listen, the reason they were so amazed as we learn In chapter 24, they were amazed at his words. The reason they were so astounded, because they had to have their thinking adjusted, just like we do, just like the people of the first century had to have their thinking adjustment. Here's what they thought. This is a rich young ruler, and they assumed that because he was rich, he had God's favor, and he didn't. 
He didn't. And so they were amazed. And in verse 27, out of their amazement, with their mouths still gaping wide open, they exclaimed to him, or 26, they exclaimed to him, and they asked him the following question. Read verse 26 with me. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus had touched the core of this man's being, and he wasn't willing to follow Jesus. He wasn't willing to give it all up for Jesus. He wasn't willing to be all in. And since he was rich, they thought, then who can be saved? And in verse 27, Jesus' answer, Jesus' answer in verse 27 is the key here. It's the key to our hope. It's the key to salvation. It's the key that tells us that God is sovereign in salvation and that, like Jesus said in verse 27, with man it is impossible, but with God it is possible. Read it with me, verse 10, 27. Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Only God can change what we truly value and trust or whom we truly value and trust above all else. Only God can change what's at the center of our being, who we live for, who we worship. And only God can give us this. This is the point of the previous text in Mark 10, 13 to 16. This is the point here. Listen, we don't achieve eternal life. We receive it as a gift. We can't work our way in. God makes a way for us to come into his kingdom by the sacrifice of Christ Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the dead and his ascension to glory. This is our hope. This is our faith. This is our trust. This is what we value. And this now becomes our new delight. Our delight is in Christ. For Christ alone enables us to inherit eternal life. So we delight in Christ above all else. And that leads us to point two, the delight of true discipleship. The delight of true discipleship. The delight of true discipleship, point two, is Jesus himself. He is the treasure he is offering the rich young ruler. Back in verse 21, he says, look, am I enough? Imagine you have none of these riches. Am I enough? Treasure me. Value me. Trust in me above all else. That is the delight of discipleship. We get Jesus. And of course, receiving Jesus by faith through God's sovereign grace means that then we receive the kingdom. We receive eternal life. Verses 29 to 31 chronicle for us all the promises, the delight of true discipleship. Look at it with me. After Jesus in verse 28 simply exclaims, hey, we left everything for you. In verse 29, Jesus then tells us the delight of true discipleship. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, verse 30, who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution in the age to come, eternal life. 
simply see houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and father and children and lands as representing that which is of utmost value to us. So when we're all in, when we say goodbye to those things and saying yes to Jesus, when the center of our life goes from our possessions, our life, us, our will, that's all those things are representing, to then Christ, then we become worshipers of God. What we receive, are the precious things of God. That second list of houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and lands. We receive Christ himself. We receive the treasures of heaven itself and persecutions. Do you see that in verse 30? Oh, that one's unexpected. Wait a second. I'll take the houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and all those wonderful things. But persecutions? Yes, persecutions, because the treasures in heaven are the glory of Christ, and the glory of Christ is reached through the suffering of Christ. The pathway to glory runs through suffering, as it did for our Lord Jesus Christ, who was on his way to suffer in Jerusalem in in utter uh, shame on the cross, looking beyond that shame and despising the shame of it and seeing the glory that he would then have with the Father again at his ascension, as it was for our Lord that glory, that the pathway to glory is suffering, so is it for us, his followers. It can be no other way. And that was comforting, church. That was comforting to the church in Rome in the first century to whom this book was written. They were undergoing incredible suffering and shame. Nero was decimating the church. He was killing Christians. They were losing their lands here. But Jesus says, I promise you far greater, far greater treasure. And ultimately my glory, the pathway to that glory is suffering. And it comforted the church then in the first century. And it comforts us today as the church in the 21st century. Some of you may be suffering. You may be weary. You have, you're all in. You're saying Jesus is enough. But it's hard right now. And you're crying out to the Lord. And he's reminding us, I am enough. I am your treasure. Look to me. Oh, what a delight it is to follow the Lord. What a delight. Jesus is our treasure. And all that he promises Friends, this account of what it means to follow Jesus, this account of being all in ends in verse 31 with a summary, really, of all that Jesus has been saying. Many who are first will be last and the last first. Listen, one day we will be first. We will have the kingdom. We will have eternal life. One day we will have all of this. But first, before that day, we must be last. Trusting the Lord as he trusted his Father, giving it all up, emptying himself of all the prerogatives of heaven, emptying himself of the glory of God, being shamed on this earth, naked on a cross, dying for us, trusting God to raise him from the dead, and he did. And then ascending into glory, and he is. And he bids us to follow him. And we will. See, this way of living is impossible with man, but it's possible with God, friends. He's chosen us. He gives us the faith. He sees, he gives us the eyes to see him and value him above all else and trust him above all else, that he's now at the center of our life. He turns us from worshipers of self and sin, idolaters, to worshipers of the true and living God. So here's the appeal. Is your soul 
satisfied with Jesus. Is he enough? Is he enough? Imagine yourself with nothing. Is Jesus enough? Are you all in? Is he at the center of your life? Is he the one you value and trust above all else? Will he ultimately satisfy you? Let me ask you this. What will ultimately satisfy you? Will your money, your security, your friends, your career, pleasure, will they be there for you at the end? Will they endure? Will they always be there when you need them? I think you know the answer to that. No. You see, it's only Christ who truly satisfies. Only Christ promises eternal life. Only Christ promises to never, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. He alone never changes. All else and everyone else changes and eventually dies. But not Christ. He lives. He offers us eternal life. We will bow down and worship Him. Sell it all. Give it all. Trust and value Him above all. That's the appeal. That you would value and trust Jesus above all else and give it all up for Him, dear friends. That is true discipleship. That alone is what following Him means. And only those who do so by faith can enter the kingdom of God and inherit eternal life. Oh, let's pray, church. Lord, I pray that you would please give us the grace to value and see you and trust you above all else. Lord, that we would be worshipers of you and not of self and sin in our own ways. That we would willingly sell it all. We would willingly, Lord, follow you for you are the ultimate treasure. Oh, Lord, thank you that you gave it all up for us. You became poor that we might become rich. You're not asking us to do anything that you did not do first. We need you, Lord. If there are those here this morning that do not know you, that have never, ever seen you, never repented, never given it all in and and believed and trusted in you, that would you do that this morning in a moment when we stand and sing, they would come forward and we could pray with them. For the majority of us, Lord, who are weak, at times we are suffering and it gets, quite frankly, Lord, in our hearts old and tiring the persecutions, the loss, the giving it all up, Lord. At times, the vision of you grows a bit dim. Would you revive it this morning? Encourage us that you are worth it, that you are above all. You're the only one that will never leave or forsake or disappoint us. May we trust you. May we be all in. Help us, Lord, to value and trust you above all else, to worship you this morning. Lord, I pray this and I thank you Bless my friends here. Build your church at Palm Vista. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.